like that. Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to like this flashback. Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Almost forgot what day of the week it was. Again, it's been it's been a little bit since we have done this show, and it's been a little bit. Not only that, it's been a little bit since we've been like actually consistent at uploading episodes of the Logan Blackman Show. I know a lot of you out there. It's been a really painful, however many weeks where we haven't had shows every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We've had consistency on Wednesdays. We have had consistencies on Wednesdays. It's just the the Monday and Friday episodes that we are struggling with. But we're trying. We're trying. We're just getting busy. And I do apologize for that. We'll try to get more consistent as time goes on. But before we get into what we're going to talk about today, make sure you go over. Make sure. Let's make sure to go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure to follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show One. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And of course, you can check out links to all of that on the LoganBlackmanShow.com where you can check out all of our latest blog posts as well. We will have our week, I think, 10 quarterback prospect rankings out for you on Friday. So make sure you stay tuned for that. We might, you know what? We might even have them done Thursday. I'm not going to promise anything. We might have them done Thursday. We'll try our hardest to get them done Thursday. If not, they'll be out for sure Friday. But then again, the most important thing to do here is make sure to follow Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a rating out of five stars on both. Doesn't need to be a five-star rating. It'd be a one-star rating for all I care. Obviously, I would appreciate a five-star rating more, but you know, we can't have everything, right? Like, we're we're sitting here right now, and it's a little bit earlier in the day than when I normally record these. I try to record these around like seven o'clock or something. So you can like we can have a live sporting event going on. Or on the weekends, like on a Sunday, when we're recording on a Sunday for a Monday episode of Logan Blackman Show, we're watching the, you know, the latter stages of the 12 o'clock games, or we're getting into the 325 games, the 315 games, and stuff like that. But now, since it's so freaking dark outside right now, it is 524 on Tuesday, November 7th. It is 524. It is dark outside. For those of you who don't know, I own three chickens, and the chickens go in at sundown, or around sundown. Uh, every day and you got the only thing you got to do with the chickens is just lock the door behind them just make sure you lock the door so that way they don't get eaten at night because that would put a real damper on things if i came home one day or woke up the next morning and saw three dead chickens laying in their hen house that would not be poggers as the kids would say but they're already in they're already in they usually don't go into the hen house until after six like six six thirty sometimes seven and now i'm sitting here at five twenty four. i put the chickens away a half hour ago they went into the hen house at like 445. <laughs> like this this is a, a very weird situation we are in, but that's what you get with daylight savings time. And I don't know if I've ever shared this on the show, but I've got an alarm clock that is very stupid. Very stupid. I know it's an inanimate object and doesn't have a brain or anything, but good lord, this thing sucks. For whatever reason, and I always I always get reminded that it's daylight savings time. Like the week, or not even a week, maybe a couple days before daylight savings time actually happens, because my stupid alarm clock. Not only does not go back automatically, you know what it does? Instead, it decides to push forward an hour. So I woke up on Saturday, last Saturday, and woke up, and it was sitting there at 9 or 8.30 or something like that. I was like, oh my god, it's 8.30, I gotta let the chickens out. And I look at my actual clock, my phone, and it's freaking 7.30. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then guess what happened on Sunday, or going into Sunday, I guess. The clocks go back. So my clock was already an hour ahead. Now I'm sitting here. It's two hours ahead. And you know what's even better? I can't change it. I'm not saying, you know, I, I shouldn't say that 100% wholeheartedly because I probably can. I just don't know how. And I've had this clock for years now. 
Me and this clock have seen things together. We are we have been side by side with one another for years. So I don't want to mess this flow up too much, but good lord, dude, you're starting to get on your last legs. We might have to change the clocks out a little bit. Like it, it it's frustrating as hell. And like when I was at my apartment, the clock, you could see it when you were recording. Or like the guests when they were on, you could see it while you were recording. So like, oh my god, it is seven o'clock. It's like, no, it's only five o'clock. But for some reason, it is showing seven o'clock. I don't know why. It just does it naturally. I've never changed it. It just does it by itself. So that first time when you look at that clock, you're like, man, I really slept in. It's 1030. <clears throat> you look at the clock, it's 830, but you're already awake. And it's like, God, <sighs> screw it. Screw it. Screw it. I, I mean, I don't really have a necessarily issue with daylight. That first day of daylight saving time I'm fine with because I like that little extra hour of sleep. But like now, I'm sitting here at 527. And it is dark outside. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of that. I'm not. It's kind of depressing. The chickens go in again at sundown. The sun started going down at 445. That is insanely depressing. And instead of watching like a fun sporting event, or I shouldn't say fun, instead of watching like an NFL game or a college football game, or now we got college basketball kicking off, or an NBA game or something like that, or an MLS playoff game because that started. Or now we're in the closing in on the semifinal. Sporting Kansas City beat St. Louis City the other night on Sunday, actually. To advance to the semifinals, awaiting the winner of the Real Salt Lake and Houston Dynamo series, which just went to penalties last night, and Real Salt Lake ended up winning force game three. Instead of watching any of those sporting events, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, I do not know what I'm watching right now. I have no idea what I'm watching. That is the best way I can describe it. We are watching Joseph and Julian take on El Barba and Arats. And right now, El Barba, who has got an insane beard... Like, insane beard. Like, it's a normal beard at the start of it. Like, on his face, it is a normal beard. And then you look down his beard, it looks like freaking dreadlocks. It's like he's got some Jonathan David-esque dreadlocks on his chin. But it's a normal beard on top. And I, I don't know what this is. Like, I'm on ESPN. It's not like I just found this on, like, YouTube or something. I don't, I literally do not know what this is. And all it says is Warriors versus Renegades. What is that? Match four score. And the, the El Barba and Ararats are tied now with Joseph and Julian in the second set, one-to-one. One. When I first clicked on it, I thought it was like racquetball. That's the best way I could describe it. But no, they've got like these hook things. I don't, uh, hook's not the right word. Betri- be, be, uh, it's Bet River Sportsbook. I was hoping that. The Magic City Fronten? What is this? What is This is on ESPN. This is on ESPN, and they're whipping this thing against the wall. They are absolutely whipping this tennis ball against the wall, I guess you could say. Like, it is insane, but I don't know what's going on. Because I don't understand the rules of racquetball either. I understand you got to hit the ball against the wall, but I don't understand necessarily where the scoring comes into play. And they got this poor referee with a hockey helmet on. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm watching. So if anybody knows what this is, and you know what the Renegades versus the Warriors is on ESPN... Fair play. Fair play. I think it... Jaya Ali, Miami. I, I'm i trying to... There's a sign in the back that looks like it says what sport this is. Well, I was like, this could be kind of fun to watch and try to be, like, entertained by. Because it is entertaining just because of the really exaggerated movements by all these people. Like, it's... Like, he just caught it and he just whips it as hard as he can at the wall. Th- this is impressive. This is damn near impressive. Or it's not damn near impressive. It just is impressive. 
I still don't know what's going on, though. It just looks like a good old time with the boys. That's all this looks like. And, like, growing up, one of my friends, we had a heat. His family owned this, I don't know what you want to call it, this, like, workout area place. I don't know. It was like it was like a lifetime or a Genesis or something like that, but not at the same time. But they were the one thing they were very much known for is racquetball. So they had all these different racquetball courts around. We had soccer, indoor soccer practice during the winter at this place. And there were racquetball arenas there. And you'd go in the racquetball arena. You would play there before your team went back on the court because you just got eliminated for some reason. So that was the only experience I ever had with racquetball. I'm not good at racquetball. I'm not at all. But this, this looks like a more insane version of racquetball because you're trying to catch the ball as well as hit it against the wall. You're not just hitting against the wall with a paddle. You are catching it and then whipping it back. And the score's gone. This crowd's got like tens of people. They have a bunch of seats set up. There's probably, I don't know, four people in the crowd. Oh, come on, Julian. Man. They got these hockey helmets on. Like bowling shirts on. Yeah, Joseph is like, man, you suck. But I'll give you a little like. What is replay? Got some fancy graphics. What a catch. What an absolute insane catch. I think he just screwed it up. He did. He must have forgot where the wall was. He must have forgot. Let's see El Barbo. Let's see this serve from El Barbo. He's got the, the Air Monarchs on for this one. <laughs> is that a point? Did El Barba score or did that not count as a serve? So we had a faulty serve on El Barba. Second serve for El Barba. Let's see what he does. He's tossing him a good sportsmanship shown. I don't know which team's which. I don't know which team's the Warriors and which one's the whatever the hell the other team was called. Here's a serve from Albara. Albarba. Off the top of the wall. Julian catches it. Whips it back. And it looks like it's going to go to Albarba. Albarba whips it back. It goes to Julian again. Julian whips it back. Albarba's right there. You thought said Albarba to Julian. And Julian makes another spectacular catch. Trying to make up for his lost time from the last one. And he scores. What a point from whatever team that was. Joseph and Julian, what a point. It's now tied 3-3 three to three in the second set after getting blasted 6-1 in the first set to now bring it back to 3-3. Three to three. That is pretty damn impressive. Now, you know what else is <laughs> pretty damn impressive? Is that I just saw this the other day. So the MLB awards just came out. Like all the awards came out for Major League Baseball. And you got like or the, the finalists, I guess. So you had the Gold Glovers released the other night, but now you got finalists for all the other major awards as well. But the Gold Gloves was impressive because the Cubs, you know, my team, for the first time in franchise history, had three Gold Glovers. Three. Ian Happ, who won one last year, Nico Nico Horner, almost said Nico Schwarber, Nico Horner, and Dansby Swanson. Three Gold Glove winners. That is very impressive stuff. You don't get that a lot in the major leagues with one team having three guys. But when they signed Dansby Swanson this offseason, when they had Nico Horner, they're moving him back to second after playing the year at short with uh, Nick Madrigal playing mostly second with, uh, you know, Christopher Morrell playing there sometimes as well. But with Nico Horner moving to second and Dansby Swanson coming to third, you knew the Cubs were going to be one of the best defensive units in all of baseball. And Ian Happ, again, a reigning gold club winner from left field. Like, it's going to be a very, very solid defensive unit. And that proved to be the case this year. But the problem was they kind of faltered towards the end of the year. Like they went on that insane run 
in the middle parts of the season, the like the late middle parts of the season, in the second half of the season, and then towards the latter parts of the second half of the season, they just completely fall off a cliff and miss the playoffs. And when you miss the playoffs after having a spot what looked kind of locked, I'm not I don't want to sit here and say like it was a guaranteed locked up position, but from where they were to where they finished, it wasn't a great look. And then with all these different award winners, it doesn't even it makes it look even crazier that they missed the playoffs. And my expectations for the Cubs going into the season was nothing like World Series bound or anything. But when you reach that level, like, oh my God, it's right there. And you can almost taste it. And then it gets ripped away from you last second like that. And you just completely fall apart the latter parts of the season. It sucks. It sucks. I, had the, I don't even remember what I had the Cubs record as. But I had them finishing third behind the Brewers and Cardinals. And then this year, going into the season, they're, like we talked about the awards. You got the three side, You got the three gold glove winners there. And the Cubs also have a finalist for the Manager of the Year award, which is crazy. I didn't really think that. Given how the Cubs played the latter parts of the season, I didn't think there'd be a, a conversation to be had for Manager of the Year. But yeah, here we are. And of course, I'm being sarcastic because the Cubs went out and made a massive change at manager. And yeah, oh, the battle court Jai Ali is Jai Ali. J-A-I-L-A-L-A-I. That's what it is. I, I guess I. that's what it is. But with the whole thing ending at the end of the season, how, how the season progressed, how it started with all the older players like Hosmer, like Mancini, like Tucker Barnhart, like these guys consistently getting time and plate above some of the younger players that could boost the team. Because these three were not very good. There were low-risk options for the Chicago Cubs. Fair enough. But when it's not working, make the changes. And when things aren't working towards the season, end of the season, you've got to adjust, which is something they just never really did. So the Cubs the other day, yesterday actually, made one of the craziest out-of-nowhere moves I have ever experienced as a Cubs fan. Going out and getting Craig Council from the Milwaukee Brewers. And yes, it comes back to the fact that, again, yes, the Cubs do technically have a manager as a finalist for manager of the year. Jeez, El Barba, he has just got... He, all his hair is at his beard. All his hair is at his beard. He got no hair on the top of his head. He looks like Matt Nagy with a n- nasty beard. That's what he looks like. And I wish I was listening. They're doing an interview right now. I wish I was. I wish I had the sound on. But crazy move. And with David Ross, I, I have nothing but respect for David Ross. For what he did as a player for the Chicago Cubs. Obviously hit a world uh, home run in the World Series of Game 7 off Andrew Miller. Like great stuff for the Cubs. He has done good things at times as a manager of the Chicago Cubs. But again, like we talked about before, the rolling with the likes of Mancini when it wasn't working, with Hosmer when it wasn't working, with Barnhart when it wasn't working, just continuously going with those guys and then falling apart at the end of the season like they did, I wasn't surprised with the move. Now, this isn't like a match like David Ross was ass and stuff like that. I don't think that's the case. I think he's still a capable enough manager. This is kind of a situation where the Cubs found themselves like they did with Rick Renteria when Joe Madden became available. Now, I wasn't even aware that Craig Council was necessarily available. To be 100% honest with you, I was not necessarily aware of that. I saw some reports that the Mets were linked with him, but I didn't really know he would actually leave the Milwaukee Brewers. He had a pretty good thing going on there. One of the best managers of all of baseball with one of the lowest salaries in all of baseball as well. Like, he's done a, a whole hell of a lot with a whole hell little in regards to money that he's allowed to spend. He's done a lot with very little. So to see him come to the Cubs in this situation, it's awesome. 
And the Cubs have been rumored to go after Kaiser. I'm not saying all these people are going to come in. I know it's not it's not possible that all these guys come in. But they've been linked with the likes of Otani. They've been linked with the likes of Juan Soto. They've been linked with the likes of Pete Alonso. Like, they're linked with a lot of very big-name players in baseball right now. And with David Ross there, I didn't really feel like that was going to be an option. But now they're making the move for Craig Council, I believe making him the highest-paid manager in baseball, like, making that move shows that they're actually serious. Because in the past, it was like, like, we brought up the Harper situation when we were watching the Phillies in the World Series. We brought that up before. Where the Cubs were going to be big players in free agency, and they were going to go after Bryce Harper and like agent Chris Bryant because man, Chris Bryant and and Bryce Harper—they're from Vegas. They know each other. They're gonna—they're like best friends. They're gonna they, Bryce Harper is gonna come to Chicago, and the Cubs, in turn, decided to go after Daniel Descalso and did not get Bryce Harper, who's had a very good career since moving over to Philadelphia. Manny Machado was also available that offseason. They did not let that happen. They were linked with uh, Nolan Arenado for months. And they were like, oh, we're going to be priced out of it. And the Cardinals got him for literally nothing. A gold glove third baseman for literally nothing. Like, go back and look at the trade for Arenado from the St. Louis Cardinals. It is one of the most insane trades, especially given how much the Chicago Cubs were consistently linked with this guy. Like, that feels like to be a common occurrence for the Cubs over the past however many years since the World Series is that they're linked with all these big-name players, and they just never make the moves. They make stopgap moves that are oh, this is a good quality player for this specific spot, but it's an oddly specific spot that they rarely ever met. Like the whole Jason Hayward contract situation, the Tyler Chatwood contract situation, like these types of things kept the Cubs from making these moves. And it hurt. So now them getting Craig Council shows me that they're actually going to be pushing for these moves, which is something I never thought I'd say. And like Rizzo said, I think it was this season, the Cubs should never be one of the worst teams in baseball. You play in Chicago. You were the biggest brand in Chicago. You were one of the biggest brands, regardless of how you want to look at the Cubs throughout our lifetimes, regardless of lovable losers and stuff like that, the 108-year World Series drought and stuff like that. They are one of the biggest brands in all of baseball. And they have been sitting on their hands for God knows how long, watching other teams with less money make more moves. And it's really infuriating. And then now with Craig Council... Maybe these moves look a little bit more realistic. Bring back Cody Bellinger. Like, make these types of moves that can actually improve the team instead of just being content with sitting in baseball purgatory. They tried to blow it up once. They did it. They traded everybody. Baez, Bryant, Schwarber, Rizzo traded all of them. But, man, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. They never, they, they made moves really risk like the Dansby Swanson thing. They paid a lot of money for Dansby Swanson. Some even said they overpaid slightly for Dansby Swanson and Dansby Swanson had a solid year in Chicago. They brought in Seiya Suzuki solid year in Chicago. Cody Bellinger obviously had a career renaissance this season in Chicago. Well, hope he comes back. Don't know if he's going to be playing center field or he's going to play first baseman. He played well at both positions this year, had a great year for the Chicago Cubs, given his former stature in baseball he's a former league MVP this is a very very good baseball player who's kind of I don't want to say come on hard times but this is a guy who's batting eighth in the batting order for the LA Dodgers a former MVP batting eighth that is insane I understand the Dodgers were a very stacked team but still it's Cody Bellinger and he got back to really good form this year and I'm excited to see what he does next year if he comes back to the Cubs if he doesn't then you know we're ops and it's hands on site type thing but it's exciting and I, again, it has nothing really to do with how 
bad you want to say David Ross was. I know you kind of mixed bag for a lot of people out there. I'm perfectly content with the move. It's, again, the Rick Renteria thing. Rick Renteria, after one season in Chicago, that was the year before they kind of got everybody up to the majors and they were kind of starting to catch a rhythm and start becoming an actually good baseball team. But they had a better option available in Joe Madden, so guess what? They made no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and they made the move for Joe Madden. And guess what? It got him a World Series. And then this time, Joe Madden gets fired from Chicago. They bring in David Ross. David Ross is solid as a manager, but he has some tendencies that, you know, aren't necessarily the greatest of all time, sticking with players that are clearly worse than some of the younger players they have coming up in the farm system. Patrick Wisdom's a guy that kept getting played, and he's a guy who was not really doing that great this year, but he kept getting consistent at, play, at bad appearances. Like Nick Madrigal played really well at third base this year. To the shock of almost everybody, I didn't think he was actually going to be able to do it. Like the antithesis of what you normally see from third baseman. He is not a power hitter, but and he's as big as my mom. Like he's not he's not a big person at all. And yet he's playing third baseman for Chicago Cubs. So <coughs> but this was a very exciting move. Out of nowhere move. I refreshed Twitter yesterday and then I saw that. That was not what I was expecting to see when I refreshed Twitter. It was Craig Counts going to the Cubs. And he's from South Bend, Indiana. He went to Notre Dame. You know, a lot of people from Chicago or Notre Dame consider Notre Dame Chicago school because they don't want to claim the likes of Northwestern and Illinois, which is fine and understandable. Notre Dame's a lot better institution in regards to athletics than the other two. But, man, this is a really exciting time. Really exciting time. The Cubs now announced themselves to baseball again, that they're actually going to be contender, or at least try to be contenders next year. I like the core they've got here. They just need to keep adding on to it. Get one of those big-name players in this offseason. It's going to be fun. They're bringing back Jan Gomes. They're bringing back Kyle Hendricks. Like, I'm I'm excited to see what happens this year. And as the Car- if the Cardinals keep staying ass, that makes it even better for me. Makes it even better. So, yeah. I don't know what the moves are going to make exactly, but <laughs> already made the best move of the offseason so far. Getting, getting, I almost said Rick Renteria, getting Craig Council for the Milwaukee Brewers from a division rival, the Milwaukee Brewers. And they have taken it, you know, as well as one could expect. <laughs> I saw a, uh, I think it was his baseball complex or like his charity baseball thing or something. Craig Council complex. I, I don't remember exactly what it was called. Some dickhead spray painted the word ass. On, his, on this billboard, or on this little sign for the entrance to the park. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. I saw someone else on Twitter said, prime number one suspect, David Ross. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Fair. He came, This came out of nowhere. I don't think David Ross actually expected to be fired this season. Hell, I didn't expect David Ross to be fired this offseason. I'm not surprised at all with what transpired, especially, again, with a guy like Craig Council available. But it's just, it's insane. Taking... From a division rival, from a division rival that just won the division this year, the Milwaukee Brewers. That's awesome. That is a that is absolutely beautiful. That's what you want to see. That's exactly what you want to see. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, let's stop talking about good things here for a little bit. Let's go negative. Let's go dark mode here. Twitter dark mode, because I am I that 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 saved me. That news from Craig Council, that saved the yesterday and today. Because I didn't need to think about what happened on Sunday. 
And for those of you who do not know, the Buffalo Bills played the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday Night Football. And the Bills lost 24-18. Weirdly, the second straight game the Buffalo Bills have played in that has finished with a final score of 24-18. I don't really know the last time I'd necessarily seen that score. And yet I've seen it back-to-back games the Bills have played. One time they came over with a dub, maybe should have lost if Chris Godwin was aware that the ball was going to land right in the end zone. I don't think I've ever seen something like that either. That was kind of odd. The way the ball just landed in the sea of hand, like no one even came close to touching the football. It kind of just landed and everybody just looked at it. It was crazy. I didn't know if Baker would get it that far, but hey, fair play to Baker Mayfield in that play. Maybe the Bucks should have come away with the win. I sat there after the game and kind of just pondered like, man, I don't really feel that great, to be honest. I I just don't feel the greatest right now. And then going into Sunday's game, 10 days, 10 days, you had to prepare for this game. Buffalo Bills or Cincinnati Bengals, you got embarrassed in the playoff game last year at home. Everybody knows that. The last two times the Bills have played the Cincinnati Bengals, it has been very not great times for the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, had the DeMar Hamlin situation in the regular season, and then the playoff situation where you got absolutely floored on home soil against this team. Absolutely embarrassed. The only thing that was really rememberable about that game was the fact that Stephon Diggs tore into Josh Allen on the sideline. And that was the best thing that happened in that game as well. And funnily enough, the game started off fairly similar to both those two games. The Bengals marched right down the field and scored. Easy as you like. It was like, well, I wasn't expecting anything different, really. It was just going to happen. The Bengals were just going to march right down the field to score. I mean, they, you're not going to stop them, especially now. I mean, they just had their their come, their come get right back game or get right game against the San Francisco 49ers last week. Joe Burrow looked great. He looked like normal Joe Burrow. He looked awesome in that game. The Bengals looked great in that game. So now that they're starting to catch a little bit of rhythm, Joe Burrow's more healthy than he has been throughout this entire season. Yeah, I'm a little nervous for the going up against the Buffalo Bills. And then, of course, they have their first opening drive. They had their opening drive of the game. They score easy money. Like, again, as expected. I did not expect them to compare the announcers, Chris, uh, Chris Collins with Mike Trico, to compare their, one of their tight ends to a young Travis Kelsey just because he wears 87 and happens to be white. That is one of the most crazy uh, comparisons I've heard. <laughs> Travis Kelsey, uh, for the most part, top two tight end in NFL history, depending on who you ask. You might even say he's number one tight end in NFL history. But I did not expect to hear that. I did not expect to hear that. I did not expect to know that the Bengals' tight ends, which I'm not surprised by this, given the amount of weapons they have in the receiving core in the running game as well, that their tight ends are pretty much rendered useless in this offense, whether it be used, uh, Irv Smith Jr., Drew Sample, or whoever. They don't really use their tight ends too often. And they brought that up numerous times throughout the broadcast because, the, coincidentally, the Bengals' tight ends played very well against the Buffalo Bills. So they go right down the field and score. The Bills, in turn, go right down the field and score as well. Really easy drive for the Bills. Like, it was like, okay, we got ourselves a little bit of a game on our hands, don't we? We got a fun, fun, fun-ass game on our hands between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, we got the Bengals making up stories again before the game started. And then we got the Bills, who are coming off not very great results. Obviously, they lost to the Patriots. You had the five-point win against the Giants when you were 15-point favorites. They didn't even score 15 points in the game. Then you had the game against the Buccaneers, where you beat them at home. But you looked good at portions. didn't look good at other portions. And in this game, you come out in that first drive, you march right down the field and score. Like, you couldn't really ask for more. It was like, yep, okay, this is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a really fun game, ain't it, folks? It's just going to be awesome. And then the Bengals, they march right down the field and score a touchdown. 
So it's 14 to 7. First three drives of the game all have ended in touchdowns. It's like we are going to go for a barnstorming affair between the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals. And then the Bills punt on their next drive. And the Bengals punt on their next drive. And then the Bills, I say the Bills, Josh Allen throws the interception. Fun. <laughs> it's like, man, we went from this insane, looked like insane game to punt, punt, interception, punt, punt. Like it was going to, oh, we were, we are in for a spectacular Sunday night football game, aren't we, ladies and gentlemen? No, we are not. No, we are not. Especially looking at that one. The, the interception was just not great. And there's, you know, those little graphics that people throw up on Twitter. I don't really know what you call them. Like the, they're, the best way I can describe this is that they're dots. So you'll see these mostly on Twitter. I'm sure you see them on Instagram as well, but they're, they're little dots and they've got players numbers on them and they map out the motion of each player. And they'll, they'll like show where the ball's going and they'll say, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. That's the best way I can try to explain it. But I can look at this play and see to a certain extent what Josh was looking. If we're just looking at it through like, I don't know, tunnel vision. We're looking at one specific portion of this play. I understand what Josh is doing because on this play, Gabe Davis rolls out to the right or goes to the right. Or I say right goes to the left. Sorry. And cuts up field. The corner is matching Gabe Davis stride for stride essentially, but there's a safety coming in over top. So putting the ball on a line, I guess would be the smart decision there. Either way, unless you're throwing that back shoulder, which Josh clearly was not doing, the ball is going to get intercepted. Like, if you overthrow, if you try to lob it in there, if you try to put it on a line, again, if it's anything but a back shoulder throw, it's going to be intercepted. But again, with the safety crashing down from over top, I can understand what his thinking was, I got to put this thing on a line. But the safety didn't intercept the ball. It was the corner. Because again, they were matching stride for stride with Gabe Davis. And it doesn't even help where Josh has got other check down options. He's got James Cook as a check down option. We were reverting back to what we feared a couple weeks ago, where we're like, oh, we got to play hero ball all the freaking time now. We need Josh Allen to save our ass every single time. We need Josh Allen to make a play every single time. We got to go for a home run every single time. This is the exact same thing that they did last year. And it worked more often than not last year. But guess what? This schedule, and the crazy thing is, this isn't even the hard part. This schedule is harder than it was last year. This isn't even the hard part of the season. You're in the easy part, or the supposed easy part. You haven't even played the Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers. You haven't played any of those teams. You played the Dolphins again in Miami. This is the easy portion of the schedule. And he lost to the Jets and Patriots. Did you watch the Jets on Monday Night Football? You lost to that team? That quarterback was playing in that game. The quarterback that couldn't look like he could do anything was playing that game. That off the line was playing in that game. Good Lord, the Chargers had like 100 points in fantasy on defense alone last night. And the Bills did absolutely nothing to them, except for Josh Allen throwing three interceptions and having a ball smack off his face and then turn it over to the defense. Four turnovers in that game for Josh Allen. And it's kind of funny because one of my Facebook memories popped up today, and I had a show this time last year, November 7th of 2022. I had a show come out this exact day last year. You want to know what the show was basically about or the portion of the show? It was Logan bitching about the Buffalo Bills because the Bills lost the New York Jets with Zach Wilson. 
Like we are in a very similar situation to what we were last year. The interceptions that he threw in that game against New York Jets. This is the first time they played when he was in New Jersey. Couldn't tell you what was happening on those ones. Like the first one, you could kind of tell what he was trying to do. Like this interception, you can kind of tell what he's trying to do. It's still a stupid play. It's still stupid. That's the best way you can describe it. Regardless if you're trying to, trying to beat the safety over top, the corners matching Gabe Davis, who's not necessarily known for being a burner, is matching him stride for stride. I'm not anywhere, I'm not even close to insinuating like I am this insane quarterback at all. But with the receiver getting matched stride for stride, you've got to throw that back shoulder if you're going to throw it there. The better option would have been to James Cook. That would have been the best option Josh would have had. But Josh didn't look any other direction other than Gabe Davis. Like, I don't know if this is coaching or what, because this is the exact same thing that we were doing last year. Exact same thing we were doing last year. And this interception proved that. You had a great first drive. And then guess what? It's just done. It's just done. The rest of the game was like that. For the most part, was just done. You had a chance, much like the playoff game, you had a chance to cut the lead and potentially tie the game up after half because you got the ball last at the second at the end of the first half. You got the ball last. You got the ball to start the second half. You have back-to-back drives where you can stack touchdowns. And you know what happened on this drive before halftime? One of the most insane things I've ever seen happen. I'm not going to sit here and act like the Bills should have won this game. I don't think they should have. But these penalties on this drive were two of the most insane penalties I think I've seen. Or wait, no, what, no, there was only one penalty on this drive. But what about no, no? I was th- I was putting going too ahead of myself. There was two penalties on this drive. I was putting it ahead of myself for another stupid thing that happened. But Cam Taylor Britt, corner for the Cincinnati Bengals, a Nebraska guy, which you know shouldn't surprise you. Or break in progress. We got a minute left going in the break. But he slide tackles Dalton Knox. Dalton Knox. I saw that on t- Dalton Kincaid. He slide tackles. Like, not even exaggerating. Like, have you ever seen, like, prime Sergio Ramos or prime Pepe? More Pepe because Sergio Ramos is a much better center def- central defender than Pepe was. But if you want to go watch a red card compilation of those guys, go watch that and see the slide tackles they're putting on. That's what Gab- That was what Cam Taylor Britt did against Dalton Kincaid. Or Britt Taylor, sorry, whatever. Like, how is that not tripping? That's the definition of tripping. Do you not know what tripping is? He literally just tackled him with his feet. He didn't use his arms for anything. I've never seen that, let alone happen in a game in regards to it, you know, a tripping that egregious happening. And yet that not even being called is even worse. And then to top on that, put another thing on top of that. You got the whole intentional grounding thing, which I that is one of the most insane calls I've ever seen in my freaking life, that intentional grounding call. And Terry McLoley, or whatever the hell his name is, trying to backtrack because he almost disagreed with the defenders. Get these stupid officials out of the booth, please. Get McCauley, get Gene Steratore, get Dean Blandino off the freaking television because if it's a bad call, guess what? It doesn't matter how bad the call is. They're not going to disagree with the official because they're still friends with all the officials. They're not going to go, ah, that was a shit-ass call. Like the stupid intentional grounding call. And when he almost 
disagreed with the official. He backtracked, and you want to know what his reasoning was? Josh Allen threw the ball too far. He threw the ball too far downfield. I've One, Josh was not intentionally grounding anything. It's a freaking option route. It's an option route. So Gabe Davis has the option to either run a vert down the sideline or a hitch route. Gabe Davis opted for the latter. Josh thought he was going to run the vert. There was no intentional grounding in this situation. The ball didn't even land out of bounds. It landed on the freaking side, like right on the edge of the field. And guess what? We got an intentional grounding call, and it wasn't right initially. It wasn't called afterwards. It was when the field goal unit was already lined up on the field. It wasn't even anywhere like during the run of play. The play was dead. Our kicking unit was on the field. And then we had the flag thrown. For in a phantom intentional grounding that I've never seen before, even Chris Collinsworth was shocked by the intentional grounding call. Josh Allen was rightfully shocked by the intentional grounding call. They even asked him about it in the post-game press conference about if he'd ever seen anything like that. He's like, no, I've never seen an intentional grounding on an option route. I love intentional groundings when they're down the middle of the field because those are hilarious. But when you're running an option route and the ball, to be even funnier, was in the direction of the receiver. The ball landed about 15 yards past Gabe Davis. It wasn't like it was 100 yards past him. He threw the ball too far? What kind of stupid reasoning is that? This is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And this is an ex-official. Yeah, he's not going to say anything to disagree. He came so close to disagreeing with them and then caught himself and then came up with the worst reasoning for an intentional grounding I've ever heard in my life. What? I don't know if you talk about Josh Allen's, you know, taunting penalty, which I thought was freaking hilarious. I mean, Joe Burrow, he did the two-finger point past the first down right on a Bills defender. So is that 30 yards? Because it's two fingers, so he pointed that like, I'll take the personal foul. I'll take the, the ticky-tack taunting penalty, which Tyreek Hill does the peace sign, never gets fired for that. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. But Josh Allen points at the defender. If you get your soul snatched like that at the five-yard line, you deserve to have everything happen. You know what? You should get the penalty for jumping that crazily. That is insane. But that intentional grounding play, that is one of the most insane calls I think I've ever seen. In my life, and that took three points off, at least three points off the board. We're not, that, we're, that's even after the tripping call, the non-tripping call. So we have a non-tripping call, and then usually you'll see like a makeup call, like after that. Like you see something like that, you're like, oh, there's a makeup call. Not only did they not have a makeup call, they just decided to make up an intentional grounding penalty on an option route where Gabe Davis has the option to go deep or go short, and he went short. Josh thought he went long. They read two different things. They were miscommunication. As so best <laughs> took at least three points off the board. And I still think it's hilarious. They called it after Tyler Bass was already lined up. That that is the funniest part about the whole thing. That's the funniest part about it. Because they didn't even get an attempt at anything. They went to halftime down 21-7. So you had a chance to do something there. Didn't. Got hurt by the penalties at the end of that drive. And then you go the second half, you get a field goal. Guy has drive and then field goal. So it's 21-10. 21-10. You punch the Bengals to punt, then you punt. So we got back-to-back punts again to start the second half. Then the Bengals turn it over on downs. Then you got Dalton Kincaid's fumble, which I thought was a great like, – at first, I'm not going to lie, I just thought it was Dalton Kincaid just dropping the ball. He jumped over the defender, dove forward. I thought he just lost control of the ball. And it turns out uh, they actually punched it out. So it was a great play by the Bengals' defense. But, like, 
man, that one hurt. And that's that was a sad thing for Kincaid because Kincaid had a great game. Like, Don Kincaid looks really good. Looks really freaking good. Like, the Bills actually have a number two option because Gabe Davis, again, was completely anonymous for this game. And it was funny listening back. So I, I went back to listen to see, like, oh, let's see what Logan ranted about in this one. It was funny because in that episode that we did a year ago, I talked about how anonymous Gabe Davis was then. And now he drops almost 50% of the balls thrown to him. Unless it's some insane sideline catch. Like, other than that, he's dropping it. Like, the only two things I can remember Gabe Davis doing in this game was the uh, the intentional grounding call. That was to Gabe Davis. And then in the end zone, Josh tried to throw to him, and he got face masked that didn't get called either. So those are the only two things that I can remember Gabe Davis doing in this game. He hasn't done anything, really, all year. And he got made captain. Like, this is probably the worst year for him to be named captain. And Sean McDermott, after the Jets game, even came out and said, we're going to need more production of our number two wide receiver. And right now, the Bills' number two wide receiver is Dalton Kincaid. Because Dalton Kincaid in these past two games, we're kind of in a situation, I told my dad this when we were watching the game, we're in a situation now where it's like Devin Singletary and James Cook. Now, Dawson Knox is hurt. Obviously, he's out for the year with a wrist injury. But we're at a situation now where even when he was playing, Dalton Kincaid was clearly better than Dawson Knox. And yet, Dawson Knox was getting all the touches. Like, similar thing to James Cook and De- uh, Devin Singletary. Like, when, when Dalton Kincaid or Dawson Knox got hurt, they had the same number of targets, which is crazy. But Dalton Kincaid just happened to have about 15 more catches because Dawson Knox drops about half the catches, after half the pass he gets. It's just like Gabe Davis. Like, if it's not to De- Stephon Diggs, it's going to Dalton Kincaid. Those are, like, the only two options the Bills have. And I don't know what happened. Okay, we'll get... We'll, I'll go back to that in a little bit. Let's So the Bengals get a field goal. Bills go down the field, score a touchdown. Josh Allen. Uh, crap, who got the touchdown in this game? It was Stephon Diggs. It was Diggs. And then Diggs got the two-point conversion as well. So it goes 24-18. But, yeah, I don't want to talk about, like, the specific touchdowns and all that stuff. What pisses me off about what they're doing right now, and I almost brought it up a little bit ago, but I wanted to finish up like the recap. I don't know. It's not really the most insane recap because I just said, oh, yeah, I finished 24-18, Diggs scored, got two-point conversion, all that stuff. Bengals ran out the clock. Like, what pisses me off is that, you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Dolphins game? The Miami Dolphins game, which feels like a freaking fever dream at this point in time. So the Bills and Dolphins played each other week four. So the Bills are coming off back-to-back, very good wins, very big point spread wide wins over the Raiders and Commanders. The Dolphins are coming off a game where they just beat the Denver Broncos 70 to 20. This one by 50 points, 70 to 20. So everybody's talking about how insane this Dolphins offense is, how historic this Dolphins offense is. And guess what? The Bills beat them 48 to 20. Bills absolutely routed them. And it wasn't even that close. 40 to 20 is nice to Miami Dolphins. Josh Allen, 320 yards passing this game with four touchdowns. He also had a rushing touchdown in there as well. Like, this game, they absolutely dominated him. And we said after the game, this was the best game Ken Dorsey has ever had as the Bills offensive coordinator. And since that game, we have followed it up with some of the worst performances he's had as the Bills offensive coordinator. That Giants game, 14-9. You were 15.5-point favorites at home. It took a goal line stand and a questionable non-pass interference call at the end of the beat this Giants team that their backup quarterback and had a backup tackle get hurt during the game. They moved Justin Pugh. They called off the freaking couch like Derek Anderson to tackle. 
because their backup tackle got hurt. You had the game against the Patriots where you lose. The Patriots got blanked 34-0 by the New Orleans Saints, and you lose to them 29-25. Josh Allen throws a pick on the first drive of the game. Not first drive, first play of the game for the Buffalo Bills. And you got against Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. You beat them 24-18 at home. Your eight-point favorites there don't cover there again. I know the old the old saying, you know, great teams win, good teams cover. Or great te- good teams win, great teams cover, that stuff. But these games, since that Dolphins game, what happened? Like, that's, that's my biggest takeaway from this Bengals game is that you look at the first drive of the game where it's scripted. The Bills are running fast-paced. You look at portions of the game against the Buccaneers. They're running fast-paced offense. Josh Allen's running the ball. They're they're doing really nice stuff, and then it stalls out. And then they revert back to the no-huddle, fast-paced offense, and they start doing good again. So what is the logic from their standpoint of going back and forth between this high-octane offense, this no-huddle offense, that's working very well? It's working very well. Why go away from it? You want to know what Sean, Sean McDermott said about this, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills? Sean McDermott says, long and short of it is, Bills got away from up-tempo offense because they wanted to get into other styles of offense. What the hell does that even mean? What are you talking about? I saw another quote from Sean McDermott saying that we don't know what the problems in the offense are. Dude, you're the head coach. What do you mean you don't know what the problems in the offense are? You're the freaking head coach. I don't care if he's defensive-minded. He's got his fingers in the offense. Ken Dorsey said as much a couple weeks ago. That Sean McDermott has a say in the offense. What the hell do you mean we're trying other different offenses? Why not just, it's a crazy idea, why not just do the one that works? The one that's clearly worked better for you, you have just gone away from. Like James Cook, where the hell is James Cook at? He breaks off a few massive runs that he just never gets used again. Like this whole thing, the Dolphins game was amazing. And now we have reverted back to, hey, Josh, save us. Now, Josh, in that same breath, is making stupid decisions as well. I don't want to make it sound like I'm completely sca- like Josh Allen's completely clean in this entire situation. Josh Allen definitely needs to play better. Like, this is what, what did they say? It's his fifth straight game with an interception or something like that? Which is crazy to think about because he's not even got the most interceptions in the league, or he might be joint, but there's like five or six quarterbacks right now that have eight interceptions on the season. It's it's actually kind of crazy to, if you look at it. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, ironically, leads the league in passing or in interceptions right now. Like, look, look, there's, there's so, like we're just going to seven. The low is seven here. So we got Jimmy Garoppolo has nine. Josh has nine. Mac Jones has nine. Sam Howell has nine. Patrick Mahomes has eight. Jordan Love has eight. Jalen Hurts has eight. Matt Stafford has seven. Geno Smith has seven. Tua has seven. Bryce Young has seven. Like, there's so many interceptions this year. It's actually kind of crazy to think about how many interceptions have been thrown this year. Like, there are four people with nine interceptions thrown this season. Mahomes has eight. Mahomes has, I believe, uh, Josh might have one more turnover than Mahomes now. It's either one or they're tied. I don't remember exactly what it is. But Josh Allen with the interceptions, is also still producing touchdowns. So that's the long and the short. It's like what we talked about after the Patriots game, after the whole rant against the Patriots, where you got, I'll take the interceptions if you just let Josh Allen be Josh Allen. Like the shit-talking Josh Allen that got coached, seemingly coached out of him, was back. At least for portions of this game, 
The first drive of the game, there was Josh Allen, and the rest of the game until they went up tempo again, he was gone. Like I don't the 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 reasoning behind we had to try new offenses. What do you, what the hell does that even mean? What do you what are you what are you talking about? We're trying to find new. Dude, just do the thing that works. And Dorsey, I don't want to make it sound like Dorsey's the worst thing since sliced bread. Dorsey's an all right off to coordinator, but I don't know if this dude knows how to scheme anything. Like, I've seen so many things from when Dable's the office coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, and everybody knows Dable's a better OC than Ken Dorsey. He doesn't take a brainiac to see that. But, like, when you watch the plays when Dable was there, they're scheming people open. I've never seen, like, anybody schemed open in this team. I don't know if he knows what his best player personnel is. Like, this is the best offensive line the Bills have had since Sean McDermott, and guess what? They still don't have a legit running game. They still don't. James Cook has had his moments. He looked really good in those first three, four games of the season. And guess what? They stopped using him for whatever reason. They brought in Leonard Fournette. They don't need Leonard Fournette. It's a decent signing for depth. But other than that, we don't need to sign Leonard Fournette. Like, what is the what does James Cook do? Why can't we just roll with him? I'm fine with the Latavius Murray-James Cook tandem. We don't need three back. Ty Johnson's a fine third option if need be. Unless you're planning on keeping Leonard Fournette on the practice squad and just wait until someone gets hurt or something. I I don't know. I really don't know. Like, the schemes are just odd. Them forcing themselves into 12 personnel is odd. Now that Dawson Knox is hurt, they've kind of stayed away from the 12 personnel. Quentin Morris hasn't played the past, so he didn't dress the last game against the Buccaneers. He dressed this game. I don't know if he played at all. They've stayed away from 12 personnel. But it's just odd. The, the decisions with this offense are just so insane. And it's clear Sean McDermott definitely has a say in this offense. But even if not, like, Dorsey, we've had problems with Dorsey since last year. Like, why? I, I still can't get over why you're going away from the up-tempo offense when that's clearly working. Your only reasoning is that we were trying to find something different or trying to work up different offenses. You don't need to do that. You were freaking lo- You were losing the entire game. You don't need to do that. Do what works. It's not rocket science. And then we're not even going to discuss, I know I am going to discuss this, with Sean McDermott doing that kind of stuff, like we need to figure out new offense. He, he gets in these situations where he, can't, he overthinks these things. Like the challenge. That's all I need to say. What the hell was the challenge? So for those of you who don't, don't know what I'm talking about, it was the Bills' last drive of the game, and Josh Allen threw the ball to, I think, Sherfield. I think it was Sherfield down the far sideline, right at the first down mark. It might have picked up eight yards, eight, nine-yard catch if it was ruled a catch. It wasn't. They gained absolutely nothing from this play, and they challenged it. I was when, when it first happened, I was like, why are they calling a timeout? They don't need a timeout. The clock stopped. It was incomplete pass. And we, Brady was here, and we were sitting there. He thought it was a catch. They showed the replay. It was a lot closer than I thought it was. But even then, I was like, they're not going to overturn that, even if they did challenge it. I didn't think he'd be stupid enough to challenge it. Why are you challenging? What, what did they gain from that apart from losing a timeout? Like, you might as well just, just have called a timeout if you're going to burn a timeout. Which even then, you didn't need to call a timeout anyways because the clock stopped. There's no reason for anything that took place in there to happen. Like, And there's constant. He is the worst challenger in the NFL, 
it can't be close. I don't know the exact number and the statistics behind Sean McDermott challenges to uh, like not not uh, not overturn to overturn challenges. I don't think he has gotten more than two challenges changed in my life. And since he's been here since 2017, I would imagine he has gotten two challenges right. If that, that's being extremely generous. He has never been good. Like, that challenge made absolutely no difference. Because you know why? The Bills got nine yards on the next play. It literally meant absolutely nothing. It was on first down. It meant nothing that they challenged that play. What do you gain from that? Nothing. The Bills scored on that drive. And guess what? The Bengals ran out the clock. You gained absolutely nothing from that. Except now you've got people questioning, why did you do it? Like, the more I sit here thinking about this game, the more I'm just sitting here and asking, why? And this is nothing to take away from the Bengals. The Bengals might be the best team in the NFL right now. They're in form. They just beat the 49ers. They just beat the Bills. They're in form. And that's not even saying the Bengals looked that great in this game. T. Higgins looked really good. Joe Burrow looked back to normal, but they didn't play the greatest. I mean, they played a backup Bills defense. Like, Micah Hyde got hurt in this game. Terrell Bernard left the game with a concussion, so the Bills are down to their third and fourth string linebackers. Like, they didn't play a great team on, def- on defense. Vaughn Miller is still anonymous. I don't... If he's that, I understand, like, coming back from an injury is not easy, especially coming from an ACL, especially when it's your second time tearing your ACL, especially when you're above the age of 30. I think he's 34, 35, whatever. If he's that hurt, or if he's that in his own head, which, again, I understand if he's in his own head. It's not an easy thing to come back from. But why play it? He has done nothing since he's been back. And I love Von Miller. I respect Von Miller. He's one of the greatest players in NFL history. Grace edge rushers, players, however you want to nail it, nail it down, Von Miller is that. In NFL history, he is awesome. He's the biggest free agent signing the Bills have ever had. He is the first Super Bowl MVP to ever play for the Buffalo Bills. The first and only to ever do that. I'm not, he didn't win it with the Bills, obviously, but still. Great player, legendary player. But if he is clearly not healthy, why is he out there? They literally gain nothing from him being out on the field. They don't. There's not one thing Von Miller has done apart from the name Von Miller. But in this situation, that's not even doing a whole lot. It's not like you're bringing him out there because, oh, they got to respect it. No, he's clearly hurt. He's clearly not up to full speed. He's got a knee brace the side of his size of his freaking shoulder pads on his knee. Like, he's not healthy. And we saw the same thing with Tredavious White last year, which really sucked because Trey White this year was starting to get back into the form we knew him in. But well, right at right before he got hurt against the Dolphins, Rasul Douglas. I don't. He played a little bit. I couldn't tell you all he did. Dane Jackson actually had a fairly solid game, but it was just a not great game. I just I'm just left with so many freaking questions about this game. That that and I'm even more so. I'm left with so many questions regarding the rest of the season. I saw a record prediction from. WGR, which is a channel out in Buffalo, they had the Bills going 8-9 and nine the rest of the year. If I was sitting here back in August, well, obviously, you can go watch the NFL season preview if you want to, the AFC edition, or the NFC one, because we did adjust the record in there. But 
if you were to ask me if the Bills being eight and nine was an option going into the season, I would have called you absolutely crazy. I would have. There was no chance in hell that I thought this team would be eight and nine, or even entertaining the idea of the Buffalo Bills being eight and nine at any point. Like that is insane to me. That is foreign to me at this point. I gotta take a drink real quick. Like if you look at the rest of the season, I'm not gonna sit here and act like that's an insane prediction. Because it's not. It's just not an insane prediction. It is it is perfectly fine prediction. So you look at the rest of the season. Again, like we said, this was the easy portion. You lost the freaking Patriots. The two-win Patriots. Coached by 80-year-old Bill Belichick. Who got beat 34 to nothing by the Saints. And what? 36-3 to against the Cowboys? Whatever game that was. Matt Jones had been benched two times before the Bills game. Maybe more than that, too, to my knowledge, but he could have been mentioned even more times than that. And you go into that game, lose that game. You have the Giants, where you play a bunch of backup players. It's basically like the replacements. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, the Keanu Reeves movie, where it's basically the NFL goes on strike, and the the what is it, Sentinels, they're playing a team that's pretty much all back. The Sentinels still got most of their, their players are out on strike still. But the team they're playing has got a lot of people back and they're trying to play in the playoffs. That was kind of like this game. The Giants and Pale, Giants versus Bills. The Bills had most of their players back. Obviously, you got like Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, uh, Trey White. All those guys are out. That's, that's your players that are on strike. But the Giants, they've got everybody out. Their starting quarterback, Daniel Jones, just tore his ACL last week. And he was hurt even before then. You got no off to line. You brought Justin Pugh in off the couch. Like You got no nothing there. You don't have a good defense. And you go into Buffalo, who are, again, 15.5-point favorites, and losing by five when you had two drives to end both halves, end at the one-yard line, I'm sure a lot of people out there could have considered that a win for the Giants. Mentally, it was. So let's say I hypothetically lose that game. The Bills have lost, if that was the case, four of the last five games. Like, the Patriots lost the Raiders. A Raiders team that just fired Josh McDaniels. The Bills piss-pounded the Raiders. Why couldn't they piss-pound the Patriots? That was their first win at home this season. Was against the Bills. Their first win at home was against the Bills. Jeez, sorry. (laughs) I don't know if you can even hear that, but... My stomach's rumbling. My stomach's even angry about this. But, like, if you look at... If you were to tell me... Before the season started, they lost the Jets, Jaguars, Patriots, and Bengals. Like, Jaguars game I could somewhat accept. That That's one I could accept. Jets game, it, before the season, I could accept it. What I know about the game, if you would have asked me after the fifth play or the fourth play of the game, if the Jets were going to beat the Bills, I would have said no. There's no way. They got Zach Wilson in. They're not going to beat the Bills. And they did. Patriots game, inexcusable. Bengals game, I could see that one. It's in Cincinnati. Bills got embarrassed last year. We'd hope that they, you know, 10 days to prepare for a team who got embarrassed by in the playoffs. Yeah, you would think they'd look a little better. But uh, no, they look pretty shit. Again, actually. Both sides of the ball. And the defense could have a little bit of a, like, a leniency because they had so many injuries. But still, shit on both sides of the ball. They're not a top 10 team. That's insane to think about, too. Can you believe that? Going into the season, would you have said that the Bills would not be a top 10 team? Would you have said going into the season the Lions would be a better team than the Buffalo Bills? Would you have said that? Going into the season, would you have said that? No, you wouldn't have. 
Don't you can't even try to lie to me. You can't say that. Like they're going to play the Broncos on Monday Night Football. I wouldn't be shot if they lost the Broncos. To be hundred percent honest with you, I wouldn't be shot. They just beat the Chiefs last week. They just did that. I I would not be shot at all if they beat the if they beat the Buffalo Bills. And they're coming off a bye as well. Would not be shot. The Bills going into this game are seven and a half point favorites. That might be generous. That might be freaking generous. That is very generous of you. Russell Wilson is playing like, you know, the closest thing to normal Russell Wilson that we've seen since he's been in Denver. He's had a very solid year. I would not be shocked by that. I would not be shocked. I understand it's at home, but, and all the losses the Bills have had this year have been, well, I guess the Jaguars game was technically a home game, but it was in London. So all your losses are on the road. So it's on home, so maybe you can, you know, defend the turf, defend your own turf and stuff like that. Jets game, wouldn't be surprised they lost that game again. Wouldn't be shocked at all. You don't know which Jets team's going to show up. You don't. And then you got the Eagles and Chiefs. I kind of feel free to chalk those ones up as the losses. I know the Bills play well in Arrowhead in the regular season. I know it's not the postseason. Lord knows we don't even know the Bills are making the postseason. Cowboys? Lord knows what Cowboys team you're getting. Lord knows what team you're getting there. And the Chargers? Lord knows what team you're getting there. Who the hell knows what team you're getting there with the Chargers? Patriots, you already lost to them. And the Dolphins on the road. 8-9, sadly, is not out of the question. And that's the... The harsh reality of things. This is a team that is supposed to be Super Bowl contenders every single year, and now you go eight and nine potentially. Now they could go on this insane run because I don't want to rule anything out because this team still has talent. You still have Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs on this team. You are still talented enough to make the playoffs. But with given how things have gone, eight and nine is not out of the realm of possibility. And if they go eight and nine, cleaning house is going to happen. You know, it wouldn't be surprising even if they made the playoffs if they cleaned house this offseason. Because I've seen a lot of takes this week about the Bills reaching that ceiling. And it's the same, I saw someone compare him to Tony Dungy. Like, there's a ceiling you have to reach. You reach, and Tony Dungy, always remembered for the Indianapolis Colts thing, they won the Super Bowl against the New Orleans, or against the Chicago Bears, sorry. Lost to the Saints. I don't even think, was Tony Dungy even the coach for that one, or was that Jim Caldwell? Forgive me for my ignorance. I don't, I, I feel like, part of it, I feel like it was Jim Caldwell, wasn't it? Hold on. We're going we're gonna to analyze this. Colts, Saints, Super Bowl. Saints, Super Bowl. For whatever reason, I'm thinking Jim Caldwell. It was Jim Caldwell. Okay. I was thinking I was kind of crazy there for a little bit. I was like, is it Jim Caldwell was the coach there? But Tony Dungy, for those of you who don't know, was the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When they had Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, and all those guys, they that was their coach. And the Buccaneers were a good team. They were a very solid team, but they reached that ceiling, and they couldn't get over it. So you know what they did? That offseason, they made a massive trade to bring in John Gruden. Whatever you want to think about John Gruden, that trade ended up helping them get over the edge and win a Super Bowl. Now, granted, they went on to play the Oakland Raiders, the team John Gruden just got traded for, so they pretty much knew everything they were going to do, so it was a really easy Super Bowl. But still, they reached that ceiling. They couldn't get past it. They got a new head coach. They go on to win a Super Bowl. Sean McDermott, I love and respect everything he has done for the Buffalo Bills. He helped end the playoff drought. He made a lot of really shrewd sides, like drafting Josh Allen, him and Bean doing that. Who knows who was the main reasoning behind that, but drafting Josh Allen at that point, with Josh Rosen still available, could have been seen by a lot of people, or was seen by a lot of people as kind of crazy. I remember Colin Coward saying the Cardinals and Jets were the two biggest winners of that draft because they came away, they came away with Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. I give credit for Sean McDermott for drafting Tredavious White in his first year as head coach. 
Yes, Brandon Bean wasn't there, but Sean McDermott was the one making the calls of that draft. Like that, I respect everything Sean McDermott has done. I respect him as a person. I have nothing but not positive things to say about Sean McDermott, the person. But as a coach of this team, there might need to be a change. Because you can say they need to change off to coordinator, and that's fine. But the identity of this team has got Sean McDermott's fingerprints all over it. And I don't know if they would go as far to fire Bean as well, because I think Bean's done a fantastic job at building some of these rosters. But the the coaching needs to get better. It does. Like, you, the last however many playoff series the Bills have been in, they have been outcoached. Every single one, whether it be against the Bengals, whether it be against the Chiefs, whether whoever, they have been outcoached every single time. So the Bills this offseason, if they, hypothetically, if they... If they scare eight and nine, then that's not we're not even having a question about if they're moving on from McDermott. If they make the playoffs at nine and eight or ten and seven and lose the first round, then that thing will happen. You can agree or disagree with me on that. I'm just saying I think that's what will happen. And to be honest, I wouldn't be too upset if it did. I know it'd be a hard thing to do. Because he's had a lot of success in the regular season as the Bills head coach. He's got the highest win percentage in Bills history in regards for wins in the regular season. But again, those postseason games, getting outcoached, the overthinking it, the challenges that never work. It's these little things that are just like, do they need to move on? Do they need to go in a different direction and not waste the talent they have on this roster? Waste the talent they have at the quarterback position. Get an offensive-minded coach. I don't know who you would want to get. I don't know if you'd want to go the experienced route. I don't know if you'd want to go the inexperienced route. I don't know if people want to bring in Brian Dable back once he probably gets fired from the New York Giants this season. If they keep going this direction, but he hasn't been given a fair hand and he just won coach of the year. But, hey, it could happen. I need. I would like to see that kind of fire in a coach. Brian Dable's yelling at all his players. I would appreciate that. I would pre- he laid in Josh Allen. He did not care if Josh Allen's feelings got hurt. People started caring if Josh Allen's feelings got hurt once Dable left. Like, uh, there's going to be conversations this offseason. I'm very intrigued. Now, they could go on. Like, again, this team could go on. Like, we, we've talked about them going 8 9s and possibly. They could go on to win all that, win out, and they could go to the Super Bowl. They could win the Super Bowl. And then we're not even having this conversation. We're going to pretend this conversation didn't even happen. That can happen. But the way it looks right now, it doesn't really feel like that's going to happen. I'm week to week with this. Like my dad says it. I'm week to week. I'm not. I I I have been asked the past three weeks if the Bills were going to cover. I have said shit about the Bills covering anything because of that Giants game because they were favored to win by 15. They didn't even score 15. Let alone win by 15. They didn't even score 15. You know how bad that is. It's bad. It's very bad. So if you're looking at options this offseason, like Ben Johnson's going to be an option for the Bills if you want to go the younger coach route. He's the ops coordinator for the Detroit Lions, for those of you unaware. Do you want to go after Jim Harbaugh? He might be gone from Michigan. Obviously, he's going to be monitoring the Bears job. Obviously, uh, Mark Davis is going to offer him a lot of money to go coach the Raiders because of the whole situation of Mark Davis just needing a big name to coach the Raiders. Because you can bring in Josh McDaniels. Everybody knows Josh McDaniels sucks at his job, so why'd you bring him in apart from everybody knows who Josh McDaniels is? John Gruden hasn't coached for 100 years, and guess what? You bring him on a 10-year, $100 million contract because everybody knows who he is. Like, it didn't make any sense, neither one of those moves, and yet he made them. John, John, Jim Harbaugh would be a much better move, and honestly, than those two, though. That, that goes without saying. Jim Harbaugh's a much better coach than those two at this current time. So regardless of what you think about the whole cheating scandal thing, 
But Dable's going to be one that a lot of people want. He's a Buffalo native, so a lot of people are going to want it. He's obviously coached the team before. Him and McDermott do not get along from everything I've seen. Really, you could tell from it anyways. It's it, it's just frustrating. That's the main thing you can take away. It's just frustrating. Everything's frustrating. And sometimes you got to make those tough decisions. We said we'd get Andy Reid. Andy Reid had a lot of success with Philly in the regular season. Never really saw that in the postseason. And now we're having conversations about him being one of the greatest coaches of all time. So, hey, world works mysterious ways. And it could happen, but... Just sucks. This really sucks. So I wouldn't be shocked if they lost the Broncos. But I'm always, I'm not obviously rooting for them to lose any of these games. I want them to win every game. I think this team's too insanely talented on both sides of the ball, even despite the injuries on defense, to go down that route. And Josh Allen, like, he's still one of the top dogs in regards to touchdowns. And interceptions and turnovers, he's on par with a lot of really good players right now. I saw Jalen Hurts was a favorite to win MVP by NFL Network. I have no idea how because he has less touchdowns and as many interceptions as Josh. Jeez. Can't get this bubble out of my stomach. Or one less interception now, sorry. Like, we're looking at the MVP of the league. Like, the the favorite for me would be Lamar Jackson. And I think that's kind of fun with Lamar because the Ravens are playing insane. And he's fully healthy. And the best part about Lamar being fully healthy is that now that he's healthy, they're not even needing him to do a whole lot right now. Like, he's playing just an insanely high level like, accurate as hell. He's not turning the football over. And they've got a legit running game now. And it is funny, the two losses the Ravens have are to the Colts and the, and the Steelers. I do think those are really funny losses. And then you look at the games that followed that Steelers game, you got the blowout of the Lions and the blowout of the Seahawks. Like, those are really funny games. Given that they, the Ravens have been on an absolute tear. They're probably the best team in football. I, we talked about that before the Bills game on Sunday night, who the best team in football was. Brady, my dad, and I was like, probably the Ravens. If you had to narrow, narrow, nail a team down, probably the Ravens. But the Bengals, if they keep playing like they have, like consistent complimentary football, if they keep using their Kelsey-like tight ends, they'll, they'll be widely considered one of the best teams in football. The Lions are a very good team. The Chiefs, despite the loss two weeks ago, they did beat the Dolphins on Sunday in, in Frankfurt, almost in Munich. But they're going to be a good team. The Dolphins, unless they're playing a good team, are a good team. They, only, they, only be, they haven't beaten a team with a winning record since week three of last year, which is against the Bills. 400, what now, 408 days since the last time the Dolphins beat a team with a winning record, which is kind of funny, but they're still they're still talented. They're still talented. But we talk about MVP, and it's kind of like, when you first think about it, like the main names you think about are like Lamar, Jalen, Josh, Mahomes, obviously, Joe Burrow's in that conversation, obviously. Tua's been really good this year. But um, one that's kind of like, like, we're going dark, dark horse MVP. C.J. Stroud might not actually be that far off from being in the actual MVP conversation. He's already running away with Rookie of the Year. We understand that. But is there a possible... Like how realistic is it that C.J. Stroud wins MVP? How realistic... I'm asking you guys. For those listening, how, how realistic is that? Because the dude just threw five touchdowns against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past weekend. And this season, 14 touchdowns, one interception to his name. He's top 10 in passing yards, thirty or almost 2,300 passing yards to his name this year on the Houston Texans. This isn't like some insane team. They're a really young team, but this isn't some insane team. They have a new head coach. Like him, Tank Dell, Noah Brown. Like they've got a very solid team around. Like 
better than what we thought going into the season. Let's put it like that. I loved Tank Dell coming out of Houston, and I love that they drafted him, and he's played insanely well. Him and C.J. Stroud have a great relationship going. Nico Collins, I forgot to mention him. He's been C.J. Stroud's leading guy this year. But the game against the Bucks, Dalton Schultz has played really well this year too. It's like they're – this is all without, for the most part, they're starting off to line. This is a very, very good season from C.J. Stroud. And, like, I again, I don't know how realistic it is to say C.J. Stroud MVP. And I don't want to go out there and say C.J. Stroud is the MVP of the NFL. But there is going to be conversations if the Texans keep playing this well about him being in that conversation. And it's funny, like, the his rookie counterpart – Bryce Young beat C.J. Stroud in a head-to-head matchup. And I know there's other – wins are not a quarterback stat. We've said that a thousand times in this show. But it is funny that that's the game that Bryce Young got his only win so far this season was against C.J. Stroud. And he outplayed C.J. Stroud in that game, actually. But, man, Bryce Young has not had the greatest year of all time. Eight touchdowns, seven interceptions to this point in the season. Yeah, it hasn't looked great, especially with C.J. Stroud coming off a five-touchdown performance and C.J. Stroud – and Bryce Young in that same week throws three interceptions – that's not the greatest look of all time. That's not the greatest look of all time. It's it's just not. I love Bryce Young. I really like C.J. Stroud as well. Andy Richardson, he's out for the rest of the year, obviously, with a shoulder injury. I'm excited to see what he does when he comes back. And then the Titans, they just named Will Levis the starter. So the NFC, the AFC South, sorry, they are loaded with quarterbacks for the foreseeable future. Like, that division is they're, – they're, they're fine with quarterbacks if – if they, you know, the Titans, because they're the team that the biggest question marks around everything. If the Titans can, you know, get receivers, can build an off the line, then they could have someone there, Will Levis. I like Will Levis. He's got all the tools you're looking for. He just needs the consistency part of it. And the way he looked that first game of this, of his career against the, crap, who, the four-touchdown game. Who was that against? I'm completely blank. I cannot remember who was against, but... Four touchdown game there. Obviously didn't have the greatest game of all time against the Steelers, but he was just officially named the starter of the Tennessee Titans. So that division, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, you've got Will Levis in Tennessee, CJ Stroud in Houston, Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis. We got some fun stuff on our hands. I'm very excited for this. I'm the NFC South has been a terrible division for years, for absolute years. And going into the season, it was pretty well documented. That most people, including myself, thought this would be the worst division in football. And it's not great. It's not great, but it's a lot more competitive these teams are than what we thought they would be. We thought the Jaguars would run away with this division. And guess what? The Houston Texans routed them a couple weeks ago. Like that's And it's fun. The NFL is a very fun business because anybody can beat anybody on any given Sunday. It's very fun. But, man, fun stuff. I'm excited to see what these rookies can do the rest of the year. But C.J. Stroud, man. Running away with Rookie of the Year now. Obviously, you got Puka Nakua up there. Bijan Robinson, the Falcons use him, would be in the conversation. But it's really just TJ Stroud and Puka Nakua. And though Puka Nakua's had an insane year, it's a similar situation to that of Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert. It's like if one quarterback, because TJ Stroud's bound to break every single rookie passing record right now. If a quarterback's breaking, if you're both breaking records, like receivers breaking records, quarterbacks breaking records, the odds are going to, it's going to go to the quarterback. It just is. The quarterback's most important position on the football field. It's going to go to the quarterback. But around the rest of the league, around the NFL, so obviously Thursday Night Football, you had the Steelers beating the Titans 20-16. to You had the Dolphins losing the Chiefs 21-14. to Vikings with Josh Dobbs at the helm, NASA's best astronaut. 
31 to 28 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. I was hoping to see Jaron Hall more. Saw he got hurt. I didn't see a lot of the game, but saw Jaron Hall got hurt. But Josh Dobbs, love the story. Love the story with Josh Dobbs. Love that he had helped them come back to a win. Love that Ken O'Connell was basically deciphering plays in his headset. Love that he had never worked with anybody in an offense before. <laughs> He's taking for his first ever snaps with Garrett Bradbury on the sideline. It was just a very fun moment. I I hope they keep building on it because I, I like Josh Dobbs. Love Josh Dobbs. And his former team, the Cardinals, Clayton Toon, started through three interceptions and lost against the Browns. Kyler Murray is expected to be back. And it was funny when it first happened. The Kyler Murray, no contract thing about, hey, we need you independent film study, stuff like that. Oh, Call of Duty's coming out. Kyler Murray's going to play call. It's done. You guys have run. You, you're milking it. <laughs> it's done. It's done. It's not funny anymore. The Kyler Murray Call of Duty memes, they're done. I, I'm tired of seeing them. Stop posting them on Twitter, please. Uh, Packers Rams, the Brett Rippin show took on Jordan Love and the Packers. Packers won 20 to three. Carson Wentz signed with the Los Angeles Rams today, actually. So ironic, Carson Wentz career pretty much ended against the Los Angeles Rams when he was the MVP favorite towards ACL against the Rams. The Eagles would obviously go on to win the Super Bowl, but his career pretty much ended at that point. People stopped looking at Carson Wentz the same ever since then. Then he got the commanders, Carson Wentz, former team beating the Patriots 20 to 17 awesome love seeing teams the bills absolutely routed beat a team that the beat the bills it's awesome uh saints beat the bears 24 to 17 tyson bajan threw three interceptions in that game ravens beat the seahawks 37 to 3 lamar jackson didn't have an inter- any touchdowns in this game but the ravens running game as we said before went absolutely off keaton mitchell 138 yards rushing on the day lamar jackson did have 60 yards on the run and gus edwards ready for all the biggest loads came in with 52 yards rushing and two touchdowns as well Odell Beckham Jr. got his first touchdown as the Baltimore Raven. Got it from Brett Hundley. But still, first touchdown. You'd love to see that. Yeah, the Texans, we talked about beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38 to 37, 39-37, sorry. CJ Stroud with five touchdowns, 470 yards. Then we got the Colts beating the Panthers 27-13. We got the Giants losing the Raiders 30-6. to And with the Raiders, I got to bring this up. I, I hope I screenshotted this. I did. Before firing Josh McDaniels, the Raiders had a team meeting where players directed their frustration at McDaniels and unloaded on him. McDaniels had Antonio Pierce speak on his behalf, and Pierce brought up the Giants' 0-7 team that beat the undefeated Patriots, explaining how team believed they could beat anybody. Pierce said the Raiders need that mindset. The players all loved it, but McDaniels didn't. McDaniels told Pierce when everybody left, don't ever talk about your Patriots like <laughs> that. That's when everybody saw how divided the building was, and owner Mark Davis wanted Pierce as his head coach. That would be, I saw this on part of my take, not the exact, I, I saw the quote before, but I saw Big Cat talking about it, or no, it might have been PFT talking about it, either way, it was, it was like, if there was any other coach, you'd be like, oh, that's a joke, but since it's Josh McDaniels, that is that 100% happened, that 100% happened, that Josh McDaniels said, don't ever talk about the Patriots like that, shut up, go back to dad and cry yourself home. Go home and you could maybe get Bill Belichick's job once he retires. I saw some links saying Bill Belichick going to the Bears or the Commanders. Stop, Bill. Just go. Just just leave. It's fine. You don't need to coach anywhere else. Just go. It's not needed. It's just not. It's just not needed. You can go. Then we had the Eagles beating the Cowboys 20-23. to And one of the weirder games uh, of all time. I did not watch this game. I was watching Sporting Kansas City beat St. Louis City in the MLS Cup playoffs, beating them 2-1. to very fun stuff. Eight seed upsetting and one seed there. But Eagles, Cowboys, I watched the highlights of that game. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> the best way I can describe that is uh, is odd. Obviously, the Bills lost to the Bengals 24-18. And the Chargers, 
not even that amazingly beat the New York Jets 27 to 6. They didn't play that great. The defense played really good. The offense didn't play that great. And they came out 26 to 27 to 6 victors over that. And what else did I see? I was there's something else I want to talk. Oh yeah. The whole CJ Stroud will not be if this is ML football, which we've talked about this show numerous times. CJ Stroud will not be a very good quarterback. Doubt he'll make it through the season as a starter. Houston, Houston regret taking him over Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, and Dorian Thompson Robinson. We've got bench for PJ Walker. And I love myself and Dorian Thompson Robinson. DTR is awesome. But yeah. And the whole thing about the S2 thing, about how he's not he's not smart. He can't be an NFL quarterback. He's not a test taker. He's a quarterback. And, yeah, he's playing uh, pretty pretty, pretty, uh, pretty damn well right now. <sighs> this is really – realize this team tries to play without Josh Rodden running the ball or being himself, can't score. In a minute, he goes back to 2020 out, and they look good. Yep, that's the fun part. That's the fun part. Let's move over to college football. Let's go over some – Fun stories in college football this weekend. Iowa beat Northwestern 10-7. to uh, Goal line stand happened in that game, which is really awesome. Love to see that. Iowa's now ranked in the college football playoff rankings. They're ranked number 22 in the nation, which, you know, is really, really exciting. You love to see that from the University of Iowa. And, yeah, 22nd. Coming off a win against Northwestern. Fresh off a loss in a bye week against Minnesota. 10-7 to was the final. Deacon Hill... For all the stuff he has gotten this year about how terrible he is, and he's bad, this was his best game at Iowa. It was. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot, if anything, but this was his best game at Iowa. It had a big throw to Noah Brown at the end of the game to set up the 50-yard field goal, 53, 52, 52, 53-yard field goal. I can't remember exactly how long it was. But great throw. I mean, for his, for the standard that we have up to this point with him, great throw and solid enough performance from Deacon Hill. Offense still sucked. The offensive line got injured to hell and back. They pretty much had no starters at the end of the game. I didn't even think about this, though, until it happened. Why Cooper Jean's not in an offense? I didn't even th- It never even crossed my mind that Noah Brown were number three. It never even crossed my mind that you can't have two number threes in offense. I didn't even think about that <laughs> until, until they made Noah Brown switch to number 81. I did not think about that in the slightest. But uh, Caleb Williams was apparently dressed on the sideline, did not play a second in this game. LaShawn Williams, uh, 79 yards rushing in this game. Jazz Patterson, 21 yards on the ground as well. Cooper DeGene on a jet sweep, had eight yards rushing in this game. But yeah, apart from the goal line stand, which is awesome, there's really nothing to talk about here that hasn't already been said. I did see uh, this on Twitter, though. In the last three years, FBS teams are 4-49 and when having less than 107 yards of total offense. Iowa has all four of those wins. That's not surprising in the slightest. Northwestern's not a good football team. But, you know what? I, I'm not even going to try and sugarcoat it. It's just a shit-ass game to watch. It's a terrible game to watch. They won. I hate teams playing for a field goal. I absolutely despise it. Especially when you're... I, I understand having complete confidence with your kicker. I understand that. I respect that. I, that's fine. But settling for a 53-yard field goal when you could try and get a few more yards... I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of that. It's never worked for the Bills in the past. I'm just not a big fan of that. Settling for a field goal when you could try. I'm not saying they should have marched right down the field and scored a touchdown. I'm not saying they had to go for a score. But where they were at and just basically like throwing the emergency brake on and say we're not moving another inch apart from getting this in the center of the field. And Drew Stevens, to his credit, drilled this field goal right down the middle. He peered it. Absolutely peered it. After missing one earlier from 52, drilled this one. Like, it was never even a doubt. It didn't even move. It was just straight and true the entire time. And Iowa came in with a win. Unwatchable as hell, but hey, you got to win. 
And right now, it's pretty smooth sailing. This, I mean, smooth sailing in terms of most schools. Not in Iowa's terms. I mean, Rutgers is a, is a good team. Rutgers is a very good team. And the over-under of this game is 28.5. I say really good team. For Big Ten West standards, they are a very solid team. They, they stuck with Ohio State for a lot of the game until Ohio State started pulling away at the end. But even then, it wasn't like an insane blowout like most people would expect when you see Rutgers play Ohio State. But in that same breath, like the teams Iowa needed to lose on Saturday lost. Wisconsin lost to Indiana. Nebraska lost to Michigan State. Illinois beat Minnesota. I don't know why I reversed the order on that one, but still. Minnesota lost. Three teams you needed to essentially lose all lost. So at this point, you could, you should be able to walk your way to a Big Ten West title. You should be able to do that. But again, we're not dealing with most schools. We're dealing with a team that has won four times when having less than 170 yards to offense. This is not a normal team. It's not a fun team. They're not playing complimentary football at all. They're, if anything, they're playing anti-complimentary football because they're just begging their special teams and defense to bail them out every single time. The special teams, Torrey Taylor was a little bit off in this game, actually. For Torrey Taylor's insanely high standards, I mean, the best punter in all of college football by a margin, it, it wasn't the greatest punting performance at all. Cooper DeGene had a decent punt return in the game as well, but got called back. Surprise, surprise. I think it was, uh, it, it was a block in the back or a holding. I can't remember which one, but yeah. Not the most exciting game. Uh, I, that's that's saying it calmly. It was a terrible game to watch. But hey, they got the dub, and that you know this offense. Man, why did you fire Brian? They're still winning. That's I'm surprised I didn't see that more on Twitter. Actually, Iowa State they lost to Kansas on Saturday night. Uh, some very weird calls happened in this game. So Jalen Knoll had a kick return or punt or kick return, and marched it right down the sideline, and the refs called him out of bounds when he clearly wasn't. And there's other angles you could see, because obviously in the broadcast angle, you can't really tell, and they never really showed the replays of it on TV because uh, they blew it dead right there. And when I worked for the Iowa Cubs, what we were told is if a play is very close, do not replay it because you don't want to make the umpires or refs in this case look bad. That's what we were told then, and I'm sure that's what happened here because dude did not step out of bounds. There's an angle from the end zone where you can clearly see him not stepping out of bounds, and guess what? That would have probably changed a little bit of the game because Iowa State would have scored a touchdown potentially. I know we're playing hands and butts because maybe they get stalled in their one-yard line like Northwestern did, but one would like to assume that Iowa State would have scored from there. One would assume that, right? The game would have at least been different had Iowa State not even scored there. Maybe it would have delayed Kansas a little bit. Who knows? It would maybe change the entire landscape of the game. It's like if a butterfly, the butterfly effect type thing. Like something changes, that it can change things completely different. But since he ruled him down there, instead of letting the play finish out like you're supposed to, you can't go back and review it because it's spot foul. You can't go, well, well, this is where he blew him dead, so it's done. It's just done. And then you have the whole the the fumble throw thing, which is kind of funny that that happened because I called the Cedar Falls Southeast Polk game the night before. That exact same thing happened, where it was clearly a throw, and the ref was standing maybe three yards back from the quarterback, and he still called a fumble. Like that is one of the crazy. That's one of the funniest things I've seen. It was so funny that that happened. It wasn't even close in both occasions. I n- I never seen it at, in the high school game. They took about twenty minutes to figure it out that he didn't actually fumble the football and he clearly threw it because you could see it from where we were standing, which was in by the press box. And in the Iowa State game, you could see it there, and they called it a fumble on the field, which. That time, I guess you. I mean, you could clearly see through it, but in that circumstance, like we talked about with the calling him out of bounds, 
that's a situation where I guess, yeah, you could say, yeah, he fumbled it, and then we can go back and take it back. But why do you do it there and not do it on the kick return? That's the, the they got to be consistent there. You're not consistent at all with that play or that situation. But got ruled an incomplete pass anyways. I don't remember if Iowa State did anything on that drive regardless, and Iowa State ended up losing the game 21-28. to As for you and I, in the last game here, they just absolutely routed Western Illinois. It, it just wasn't close. It was never close, which is what you expect. Western Illinois is a bad football team. They're very bad. Their head coach not won a game in two years there. Like it's They're not a good football team. This is the game you need to have when you're playing bad teams. You just got to put them away. That's exactly what you and I did. Like I watched this game up till halftime. And then the Iowa game started because this was – it was the you and I game started at 1, Iowa game started at 2.30. So I got up till halftime. The score was what? I got to do math here. 33 nothing at half. I was trying to do math. I was trying to do some quick math there. Sorry, it was over. It was not. It was not good. It was not a good game. Aiden Dunn came into the game for you and I. Theo Day looked really, really good in this game. Sam Schnee made some nice catches. Logan Wolf looked solid. Like they, they had a good game. I watched the first half and then that was it. I was like, you know what? I got the gist of it. I got the gist. The U and I's offense looked really good. They've had a couple very nice weeks. The second half against Illinois State was not the greatest of all time, but that first half, Theo Day made some actually elite throws in that game. Insanely elite throws. He had the twenty-seven nothing shutout against what North Dakota. Like they're on a nice little run right now. They're six and three, six and three. I saw a lot of people on Twitter complaining about the re- the recently released FCS poll because you and I is so low and North Dakota is still so high. But you and I, hey, that game against North Dakota State, that last game of the year, that's looking more and more winnable as we progress throughout the season. Like obviously, you have two tough games to start the year: Iowa State and Weber State. Those games. We had you and I winning, but them losing does not shock me in the slightest. The South Dakota State game, that was going to happen. It's South Dakota State. They're going to walk their way to a national championship game again. They're a very, very good team. They're a very complete team. It's going to happen. But you look at the rest of the season, they be, they played some good teams. Like Youngstown State, that 44-41 to 41 game, that was a very good, complete game from you and I. North Dakota, a team that routed North Dakota State, they beat them 27-0. Illinois State's always a tough team, especially on the road. 24 to 21. They didn't necessarily have the greatest game against Indiana State, but still came away with a dub there. That's a game you need to have a better game against. But still, that was a while ago, and they've still stacked up wins since then. And the West Illinois game. Missouri State, they really shouldn't have any troubles here. Missouri State, three and six. They're not that great of a team. They're not. They're two they're two of their wins have come against Murray State and Western and Western Illinois. Two of the worst teams in Missouri Valley Football Conference. The other one came against Utah Tech. Like, they've beaten the three worst teams on the schedule. They beat the teams essentially they should beat. They lost everybody else. You and I really should have no issues here. It is on the road, yes, but they should not have any issues in this game. And that North Dakota State game, and in a week after, on the 18th, that'll be a very, very fun game. That game gets more fun the second we get closer. Who does North Dakota State got this weekend? North Dakota State has Southern... Ooh, Okay. That could be a tough one. Southern Illinois has not been in the best form, but hey, neither is North Dakota State. Southern Illinois is a tough-ass team. And going to North Dakota State, hey, we'll see. We'll see. That's a tough. That's a t- that's a very tough game for both teams. I don't want to make it sound like it's an easy game for either one. No, it's tough for both. And so Southern Illinois obviously coming off loss against South Dakota. So both teams lost to South Dakota this year. Crazy. Craziness. But, man. Other than those games, other than the state of Iowa games, oh, we had William Penn losing the Grandview. We don't even talk about that game, though. Other games we had this weekend, and it sucked that uh, YouTube TV does this, but they do the grid thing, so you can watch four games at once. But they do local television, the network television. So we had one grid open of, what were the games? It was Utah, or Utah, 
USC, Washington, then Alabama, LSU, Michigan, Purdue, and then for whatever reason, West Virginia, BYU was on Fox. Don't know why, but then Iowa State was on ESPN. So they were in, Iowa State was in a grid that we did not care about, and then that one game, Utah or jeez, uh, Utah, West Virginia versus BYU did not care about that one either. So we were trying to figure out ways to get Iowa State in there, but we couldn't end up doing it. We mostly just watched the out the USC versus Washington game, which was just a, a very fun game, very very fun game. This is a game that you hate to lose. You absolutely hate to lose it, and you in Washington just dominate on the ground. They killed USC in the ground game. Dylan Johnson, 256 yards rushing the game and four touchdowns. He averaged a first yard, first down every time he ran the ball. Like, in all the games Michael Penix has played at Washington where he's been the main focal point of the offense, this is the game where he did probably the least in his Washington career. Had an interception in this game as well, but Dylan Johnson, 9.8 yards a carry. 9.8. USC. Loses again, 52-42. to Caleb Williams, three passing touchdowns in this game. Also had a rushing touchdown. Only missed on eight passes in this game. Had three, 312 yards passing as well. Looked really good. Both quarterbacks looked good. Even though Penix didn't have to do a whole lot, still looked solid. But USC, man. I, I'm getting tired of this. And I understand why. I've brought this up before. I understand why people don't like Caleb Williams. I understand it. I understand people are getting tired of the generational thing. But the over-hatred of Caleb Williams is kind of insane. Like it, it, it actually bothers me. And I, I'm not a USC fan. I like watching USC football. I like watching Caleb Williams play, but it is, it is kind of the point where we're getting ridiculous at this point. Like after the game loss, you're going to credit Caleb Williams with the loss, right? You're going to like, Oh, he lost to Washington, even though he outplayed the other quarterback who he's competing with in draft position, which not really, but they're going to go in the same draft. He lost that game. You look at the game against Utah, lost. The Notre Dame game, you could say the three interceptions, but even then, defense did absolutely nothing in this game. USC's defense is basically a turnstile. USC's defense is pretty much a, like, you know what we've talked about? We've talked about this loosely before, where we talk about lookout blocks, where it's basically just, you run a play, you say the lineman turns around to the quarterback just says, look out. That's all he does. You don't do anything else. You actually don't do anything except for saying, look out. You don't block them. That's essentially what USC's defense has been. That's pretty much what it's been. It's been a lookout defense. Look out, and they score. You look at their last few games, or even not even just these last few games. Look at their entire season. They allowed 28 points to San Jose State. You allowed 28 points to Arizona State, a solid team. You allowed Colorado to come back into the game, allowed them to score 41. You allowed Arizona to score 41. You allowed Notre Dame to score 48. Utah scored 34. Cal scored 49, and then Washington scored 52 is a turnstile defense that is insane. And this is exactly why I say thousands and thousands of times that wins are not a quarterback stat. Yes, you could win because you're a quarterback. You can win and lose games because of quarterbacks. I understand that. But it's not solely about the quarterback. Caleb Williams had 312 yards passing and four total touchdowns in this game. They lost 52-42. to 42. Dude scored 42 points. And you're going to try and tell me that this is Caleb Williams' fault for losing this game. And we have the Caleb Williams situation after the game where he's crying with his mom because... Jeez, my my computer almost fell off the, the couch. Sorry. But you have a Caleb Williams situation after the game where he's crying with his mom. It's like, you don't it, you don't matter how much money you have, how famous you are, you're always going to go back to mom. That's the main moral of the story there. But people took that on Twitter and started clowning him because he quote tweeted a tweet from RG3 praising Max Duggan for crying after the Big 12 championship game. He just said, LOL. 
and this is what the stupid issue with social media is right now. And I hate this with, like, when you look at plays and people screenshot plays all the time. And it's like, look at this. It's a screenshot. I can screenshot anything at any time and make it view however I want it to. Like, you remember the, the whole Super Bowl thing? There was a face mask. It wasn't a face mask, but where his hand was, you could clearly see a face mask. His hand was by his face. It wasn't a face mask. It was with a fumble that I think Nick Bolton returned for a touchdown where Chiefs grabbed a face mask. He didn't, but from the replay, from the screenshot, you could see his hand kind of by his face. But when you watch the play back, he doesn't grab his face mask. It's one of those situations where you post something, you attach a narrative to it that's not even close to being true, and then people take it and run with it, and then the narrative starts. People are posting that and say, man, Max Duggan has the opportunity to do the funniest things of all time. When Caleb Williams wasn't laughing at Max Duggan. People try to turn that into Caleb Williams is making fun of Max Duggan for crying. No, he's making fun of RG3 and these other media personalities that are going out there and basically saying, hey, Caleb Williams, pussy boy over there, start crying. Man. And then you got Max Duggan. Oh, look at this tough, courageous dude right here. That's what he's responding to. It's the hypocrisy of that. You can't call one dude, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you can't call one dude a bitch-made pussy for crying and then praise another dude for crying because he gave everything. Caleb Williams starts crying, and everybody's like, man, this dude, I would never drive this guy first overall. I would never take him with my franchise. I'm a GM. I'm never taking this guy. Screw off, man. There's a reason none of you guys are going to be in the NFL anyways. I'm not saying Caleb Williams is a generational prospect. I've never been on that train anyways. We've said this entire season, even the offseason, that Drake May is right there with Caleb Williams. All season long, all offseason, the preseason range, we had 1A, 1B. I would not be shocked at all if Drake May got taken over Caleb Williams. I would understand if people had Drake May over Caleb Williams. I understand it completely. I've watched all their games this year. I understand it. But to go around and act like Caleb Williams is not this good quarterback because you don't like the narrative or you don't like what he does or how he carries himself, that doesn't matter. Just because you don't like the whole, oh, he's not a, this is a generational prospect. Dude, he's putting up better numbers now than he did last year when he won the Heisman. Two weeks ago, or however many weeks it was before the Notre Dame game, we were talking about this dude winning back-to-back Heismans. And now he had the Notre Dame game, and obviously he's out of the Heisman race. But we were that one game away from him being a Heisman finalist. Or he's probably going to be a Heisman finalist. Who knows? But he ain't winning it, for sure. Especially now with three losses and outside the top 25. But man, the narratives around Caleb Williams is like, it is crazy. You would see this guy had like murdered people or something. I understand if you don't like necessarily the way he carries himself. I understand if you don't like how people carry around generational prospect, but you cannot sit there and tell me that this dude's a bad quarterback. You can't. And people are trying to take that on social media. Like, he's just an average quarterback. No, he's not. No, he's not. Watch him play for 15 seconds. He's not an average quarterback. I don't care if he wins the Heisman this year. He's still the best quarterback in college football. I remember Charles Barkley said this one time. He was like, I won an MVP in the 90s. Did not mean I was a better player than Michael Jordan. Like there, You know how many players won MVPs above LeBron James? They're not better than LeBron James. They were had an MVP. They got an award that year. I don't care who wins the Heisman this year. They're not better than Caleb Williams. They had a better season than Caleb Williams. Better team success. They didn't have an exactly a turnstile defense like Caleb Williams had. We're competing against the other team and your own defense. Like, it's it's stupid. It actually bothers me at this point. I'm not even, again, I'm not even a USC fan. I'm not even, like, the biggest Caleb Williams stand. I've been on this, I've been on record a hundred times saying that, hey, 
Drake May is just as good as Caleb Williams, and he can do some things better than Caleb Williams. We have said this a thousand times. And I'm sitting here defending him every freaking show. I feel like I'm doing this, like the CJ Stroud thing all over again. <laughs> I'm not, like back then, I'm not, a, even now, I'm not an Ohio State fan. I have no personal, like, love for CJ Stroud. But if people are being stupid on social media, then we're going to call it out. We had a whole show dedicated to people, to this one Twitter account bashing CJ Stroud. We spent the entire time just defending CJ Stroud. I feel very pretty vindicated in doing that. <laughs> Oh, man. It's been a rough one for USC, though. Lost three of the last four games. Play Oregon. Probably not going to win that game. Play USC, UCLA next. Probably not going to win that game. So, yeah. Probably going to end the season at 7-5, and five, which is definitely not ideal. But, yeah. Craziness. Absolute craziness. But, speaking of the draft. So, we got Caleb Williams and Drake May, 1-2. Our number three guy. Well, this is not a reveal of the quarterback rankings. I do have them done. I just need to get the reasonings done. And did I say they fired their defense coordinator? Did I say that? I can't remember if I did or not. They fired Alex Grinch, unsurprisingly. So I saw a bunch of people on Twitter saying that Michigan, as their punishment, should hire Brian Ferentz an OC and Alex Grinch as the D coordinator. That was, that's the, one of my favorite phrases ever. That's the stoppable force meets the movable object. That's what that is. <laughs> Brian Ferentz offense, Alex Grinch defense. That's exactly what that is. But Shadur Sanders has been consistently our QB3 throughout the year. And Colorado's not that great of a team, which is not not surprising. I mean, they had that run in the first three games of the season. It kind of changed people's perspective on it. But now they're kind of like going to where most people should have expected. This is what we, when Brady and I did our preseason predictions, this is what we expected Colorado to be. They have a tough schedule. Had a tough schedule. Like they played USC. They played Oregon. They played Oregon State. They played UCLA. These are all tough-ass teams. Shouldn't have lost to Stanford. Up 29-0 at halftime. Ended up losing that game. Should not lose that game. But... They've had a rough season to, as of late. As of late. Shadur Sanders is getting beat up every single freaking week. And I saw today on Dan Patrick's show, Deion Sanders was on. He said Shadur Sanders is going back to college. That's not from Shadur because I saw another clip of Shadur talking about going to the NFL and Deion saying, nah. And Shadur not looking as keen as saying, nah, as Deion was. But it, whether or not Shadur comes back or not, let's play with the idea Shadur Sanders comes back to college. If Sadur Sanders goes back, I mean, Colorado is going to be better than what they were last year. They are. Like, this is the first year with Deion Sanders as the head coach. They're going to get better. I highly doubt they're going to get much worse. Travis Hunter will still be there. They'll still have most of their main guys there. If Sadur Sanders comes back, he'll be the number one quarterback in the draft, but fairly easily. Because out of all the other quarterbacks, I think will come back. I think Quinn Ewers will probably come back. I think Riley Leonard will probably come back. I think that Carson Beck from Georgia will probably come back. So you've got these quarterbacks that are very good, but out of those guys, Shadur Sanders is the best one. I wouldn't be shocked if J.J. McCarthy came back, but I think he's the more likely out of the guys to go. Obviously, you got like some Bo Nix, Jane Daniels, Michael Penix all leaving because they're getting kicked out of college finally. But, hey... I would, if Shadur Sanders came back, he would be QB1. If we were looking to next year, the top five quarterbacks, it, it just depends on if Riley Leonard continues his development. Because I think Riley Leonard has a lot of potential. It's just the consistency's there, and he's battled a shit ton of injuries this year. So I would probably go, and I like Quinn Ewers, but I would probably go uh, Shadur, Leonard, Ewers, uh, Carson Beck, and then is there anybody else that uh, 
got to see if I can find someone else. I'm, I'm trying to think of it at the top of my head, but I got to look up some lists real quick. Not lists of quarterbacks, but uh, who would come back? Jeez. I don't even know who I would say would be QB5. I'm not the biggest Kyle McCord fan. I know a lot of people would probably say Kyle McCord. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of his. Come on, is there? I'm trying to think of like who I'm completely forgetting about some quarterbacks, but I don't. Why am Why is my brain not doing this right now? I don't. Cameron Ward would be up there too, but I don't know if Cameron Ward's coming back or not. Because he's a transfer quarterback as well, but he is a junior. So I went. I Cameron Ward, if he came back, then yeah, he would be up there as well. He'd probably be number four, uh, four or five. Uh, him and Carson Beck would rotate four and five. But those are, it, it just depends on where I would be. If I was where I would come back. But that would be my top five if we were doing it right now for the quarterbacks for next year's draft. But that's just, I, off the top, I didn't even think we were going to talk about that. But that's the route we were going with this show today. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of all over the place. But again, we haven't done a show since last Wednesday. So there's been a lot of things that have happened since then. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened so far. Leo, the top five quarterbacks in the nation in passing yards, Penix, Williams, Shadur Sanders, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. That's pretty cool. All those quarterbacks are very, very good. <laughs> All those are very, very good quarterbacks. I do think it's funny when people say, I don't see what people think go with Drake May, who, who they even think would be over Caleb Williams. You got to watch Drake May, man. You just watch him. You can see the potential there. I don't want to do the, the comparison of Justin Herbert because he's like Justin Herbert in mannerisms. But he's a lot more mobile than Justin Herbert. Like, I like Justin Herbert a lot, but he's more mobile than Justin Herbert. Again, I wouldn't be shocked if he went first overall. I really wouldn't. If not, Marvin Harrison, I know that would be the easy one there as well. Which, speaking of, we talk about MVPs. Is Marvin Harrison the Heisman winner right now? Obviously, the quarterbacks are going to be up there as well. But Jane Daniels, he was my pick. He had a solid game against Alabama. He had over 100 yards rushing, over 200 yards passing. Got hurt in the game as well. But like we've talked about before, I don't really see a reality where we've talked about this in the past where a Heisman winner has to be a national championship contender, right? Now? I'm not saying that it actually, that has to be the case, but for how this award's getting voted on, I don't think we're going to see any nine and four Heisman winners anymore. I don't, I just don't feel like that will happen. So I, Jane Daniels, I think should be a finalist. JJ McCarthy, if Michigan keeps doing what they're doing, is going to be a finalist there as well. Michael Penix is obviously playing really well. You can't even really say the USC game was his Heisman moment because he wasn't real. I mean, he threw a couple touchdowns in the game, but the running game really separated Washington in that game. But Marvin Harrison Jr. looks insane with inconsistent quarterback play from Kyle McCord. Like, he looks freaking ridiculous. So I, he's got to be up there, if not the favorite. But he'd probably one of those guys, right? So it'd be either Harrison, Penix, McCarthy, or Jane Daniels. Those would be my four. Do I want to throw in a fifth one? Is there any is there any fifth ones that we could even say? Like Jaden Jalen Milrow, low key, could be in that conversation. Because, hey, there people are gonna be very upset about this. There is a reality where Alabama makes the playoff. There is a reality where Alabama does it. <laughs> oh my god. There's a reality. They're eight and one right now. They're sitting at eighth in the nation. 
you look at the rest of their schedule. They play uh, Kentucky, Chattanooga, and Auburn. So they're going to go 11-1. God forbid they don't go 11-1. That'd be insane if they didn't. And you look at the rest of their side of the conference, they don't play Ole Miss. Or they did play Ole Miss, but they don't play – they've already beaten them. If I Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a while ago, but I, that's why I was, my memory was not serving me right. You're already beating Ole Miss. Don't need to play them again. You look at all the other teams they have in their that side of the conference, they don't play any of the tough teams. They already played them or they don't play them. They already beat LSU. They beat Ole Miss. They Like, hey, there's a chance. And Georgia, though good, is beatable. Is beatable. They did not look great against Auburn. They did not look that amazing against Missouri. They had moments. Against, Missouri's a good team. I don't want to take anything against, against Missouri. But it is possible, ladies and gentlemen, and people are going to be very upset about that, but it is possible <laughs> that it happens. Uh, and I cannot wait for the chaos. And Michigan-Ohio State, however, whatever happens there, so that's going to be the game that decides potentially the Big Ten – well, decide the Big Ten championship. But, well, but you got to get through Penn State and Michigan this week too. Got to get through that game. Ohio State already beat Penn State. We'll see you in Michigan. This is Michigan's first real test of the year. So, 11 o'clock kick, too. So, fun. I'm excited. That's going to be a fun-ass game. Very, very fun game. Jeez, I'm looking at the points forced. Michigan, <laughs> so, to put into context, the second-highest scoring team in the Big Ten is Penn State with 100, 198 points scored. Michigan has scored uh, 270 points. <laughs> They have scored 90 more points than Ohio State this year. Ohio State scored 180. Michigan has allowed 44 points. Ohio State's allowed 65. Like, the, but again, Michigan hasn't played anybody this year, so that's that's fine. But that's just crazy. That's just absolutely crazy how things work in college football. I love it. Absolutely love it. This college football top 25 is insane. <laughs> I hate that James Madison's not in it. James Madison's undefeated. They're nine and zero. Put them in the poll, man. Put them in. North Carolina's back in it after beating Campbell. After losing to Virginia and Georgia Tech back to back, we beating Campbell put them back in the top twenty five. I guess. I like North Carolina, but beating Campbell should not put you back in when you lost to two sub five hundred teams. That should not happen, especially at home against Virginia. That should not happen. But other teams in the top twenty five that were not in before. Uh, can't, uh, Arizona is ranked number 21 fair and then you got Iowa number 22 so you got teams not ranked before you got Notre Dame after losing to Clemson last week looking bad in that process uh, dropping five spots LSU after losing to number eight Alabama dropped five spots as well yeah I think losing to Alabama on the road is the same as losing to four and four Clemson looking bad I understand it's on the road as well but I don't think I don't think each team I don't think both losses are created equal, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I do think it's funny. Oklahoma State is fifteenth. If you had told me after watching Oklahoma State versus Iowa State that Oklahoma State would be ranked fifteenth at any point in the season, I would have called you crazy. We got Missouri fourteenth, we got Kansas sixteenth, we got Oklahoma seventeenth. They dropped eight spots after losing to Oklahoma State. These rankings are confusing because Oklahoma lost to the best team out of <laughs> or potentially despite they played the best. And lost, I'm pretty sure, on the road, right? It was at Oklahoma State, right? But Oklahoma State was a top 25 team and they lost. It, it's just funny. It's just really funny how college football works. And I think that's all I've really got for you today. I don't know if I've got anything else. Oh, that stupid, those stupid pages. Diggs is not happy. Bills really had to blow. I hate those. Bills locker room trailing 
stuff on Dave shaking his head yells, I'm not even sweating. I'm not even effing sweating. Dude, stop trying to create narratives, man. You could say that and not be upset. You could just say that just for the sake of saying it. But he's probably upset, which I was too. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about this thing. I saw this before the Northwestern Iowa game. Gary on the Big Ten Network, which is a great network, by the way. Gary, or Jerry, probably Jerry. Iowa and Northwestern will combine for 63-plus points. They combined for 17. <laughs> they scored three of those points with less than a minute left. That's what we love to see. Great prediction. I don't know what inspired him to make that prediction, but, hey, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> Ferentz, focus needs to be on scoring points. No points at halftime. But, hey, that's neither here nor there. Fantasy football is looking solid in every league except for one. My team is not that bad to be 2-7. and seven. It's not. Every other league, I'm in playoff, playoff contention. I'm in five leagues, four of them in playoff contention. Or three of them in black contention. I've got my fantasy hockey league, which is doing pretty solid. We're doing good. We're doing big things here on the Logan Blackman Show. But, again, we'll have our quarterback prospect rankings come out for you on Friday. Maybe Thursday if we push it, but Friday for sure. I'll guarantee Friday. I won't say guarantee Thursday, but we'll try Thursday. And with that being said, I hope you have a good day. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. Make sure to follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media again. And I will see you all later. Peace.